listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. Nearly 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. This episode is a little different, though, because normally sitting beside me is my lovely, sweet wife and co-host Melissa, but tonight it's my buddy Nat. Hello. Say hello to to the people, Nat. Hello to the people. Uh, I thought that, well, first of all, Melissa's busy. She's got a lot going on. And she told me to say how dearly she's going to miss everybody. But uh, I thought that it would be good to have Nat on the show because Nat and I built the uh, kit amplifiers together. Mm -hmm. We built them at the same time. He built his in an old cabinet that he'd had for a long time, and I put mine in this weird old 50s the web, the web yeah. core, uh, way fancy reel to reel, reel to reel cabinet. Anyway, we'll get into that. So then we're going to talk about amp kits tonight. Among other things, we're also going to do questions, and uh, we're going to do. Uh, I think we have a call to take. But first, we're going to do some guitar news. That sounds great. Guitar news. So. Here's how we'll do this. This is a let's 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 uh, take turns reading paragraphs. Okay. This is from guitar.com. This is big news. This kind of blew my mind. A return for Rosewood CITES lifts restrictions on musical instruments after years of frustration for guitar makers. Finished instruments containing Rosewood will reportedly soon be exempt from CITES restrictions. That's a big deal. By Josh Gardner. This just came out the other day. Since 2017, the CITES Treaty has become one of the largest bugbears for the guitar industry as it has made the transportation of musical instruments internationally more expensive and time-consuming for manufacturers, distributors, and retailers of all sizes. Now that seems likely to change. Let me take it. According to an NPR report, a key committee at the International Endangered Species Convention meeting in Geneva on Monday approved a motion that will exclude finished musical instruments that contain rosewood from CITES restrictions. The CITES parentheses, Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna 
end parentheses, appendix two. Well, this is boring. Yeah. Restrictions <laughs> were never intended to impact the musical instrument industry as right? it has. Yeah, they say that. I'm but skeptical. Uh, yeah, I know. They say that, but good Lord, where it else sure do you did. find Rosewood? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I guess there was a problem with poaching is the whole reason why they were doing it is they had a lot it's of animals, wild fauna. They had an illegal, it, they, would we say poaching if it's a tree? I don't know. Is yeah. there is there another word for poaching? Uh, if it's that tra- what do they call that trafficking that's illegal? I don't know. Illegal trafficking. <laughs> Tax evasion. Uh, yeah, I lost my place. Anyhow, so they've lifted the. Uh, well, they're supposedly going to lift this article. Never says it's done. This article only says no. It, I, I read something on that, and it's gone to a committee that thinks it will go away. Yeah, so it's gone to a committee. So I'm still holding my breath on this. It's not over yet. Now, didn't that impact you, the other, just Absolutely. sending something to Canada? Well, was, yeah, uh, I had a guy custom order a guitar, and he wanted a rosewood fingerboard, and mm-hmm. I looked into trying to make that happen. And in order to do it, you either have to get a uh, a year... You have to buy a permit for the year, hmm. and then that covers all of your exports, or you have to do one guitar at a time. And it's just incredibly difficult to do, and you have to yeah, get um, you have to get documentation from the people you get the wood from, which I I don't have, and I doubt very many mm-hmm. guitar makers do. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know most of the places guys are getting their uh, necks and their and their wood you know not these none of these come with documentation about the origin of the rosewood no no and wasn't it just shipping to canada was yeah at issue for you well and that's yeah it's across a border it's yeah. across an international yeah. border so it was a big deal um and the other th- way it affected me is i sell instruments on reverb i sell guitars on mm-hmm. reverb.com and if you've got say an old harmony or an old dan electro with a Brazilian rosewood mm-hmm. fingerboard. Yeah. Well, good luck. You can't ship it across the border. And they could. That what's amazing is that uh, professional musicians were afraid they would seize their fancy fiddles and their uh, neat they, oboes or whatever. And man. they did. They they were con- they were right? confiscating instruments. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they were confiscating them. Yeah. Anyhow, let's pick this up. Pick a pick a uh, pick a random let's paragraph. Let's see. Uh, In the two years since, the guitar industry has been forced to adapt to the new reality, with individuals and smaller brands struggling to absorb the extra costs when it comes to buying and selling internationally. Even bigger brands have been forced into action, and in some cases have responded by ditching Rosewood from low- and mid-priced instruments altogether, most notably Fender, who switched all its Mexican-made guitars from Rosewood to Pau Ferro fingerboards. Yeah. Music instru- musical instruments make up a tiny percentage of the wo- world's rosewood use, and as such, the MI industry has been fighting to gain an exemption from CITES, claiming in their petition to the committee that, quote, the world of music and culture will lose certain instruments that produce the highest quality tones with no corresponding conservation benefit, mm. end quote. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, now it appears that they have won their fight. And provided the committee's recommendation is finalized, as expected, later this week, it should dramatically simplify the international transport of guitars that contain rosewood. Freedom. Yeah. 
supposedly. Free the we'll see. I, I mean, uh, it the, the ink isn't dry yet, but it looks like they're going to exempt Rosewood from finished musical instruments. Now, that's only finished right. musical instruments. So right. if you are shipping just raw Rosewood or probably an just unfinished an, an unfinished neck... Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see how it all shakes out. Well, you'll have to pay attention to that. Well, I don't really want to ship anything internationally anyway. What, what was I What was I doing anyway? Business? What was I doing? Making money? Selling guitars? Yeah. Anyhow, we do have a call. So let's see here. Let's take a call. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is Micah calling from Nebraska again. I was looking through my email this morning and I get the Stuart McDonald trade secrets emails and wouldn't you know they're giving a, a trade tip on a loose inlay which you had talked about last oh, yeah. episode and it made yeah. me think I bet you whoever is over there is listening oh, to your show hearing your advice and Don't you're like say that's it. a good idea let's make a video on that and plagiarize Eric Dawes great wisdom <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that but I thought it was really funny and I'm going to be watching now to see if their next videos correlate to your podcast <laughs> I, I like uh, this thanks. call I'll talk to you guys later right on thank you for the call yeah I saw that, that too sweet. I you know it it's it was just a coincidence it's just a random coincidence and mm. certainly you know turnabout is fair play I've plagiarized their stuff enough that uh, I'm, I, th I think that's fine. Just their catalog alone is full of good ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you, do you ever look at their the Stuart McDonald catalog? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's great. There's some clever tools and uh, cool stuff. Definitely. There's lots of good ideas and fun things in there. Well, now, I don't think they were ripping off my idea. That was, no. I mean, that's the way anybody would have fixed a loose inlay and they were probably, it came out so soon after that episode, and theirs is all, like, video and stuff. They were probably working on that a month before yeah, I with, even recorded that. With professional persons. Yeah, with, like, real, yeah, you know, people. Mm -hmm. This is not even a real podcast. You're just, oh. you're picking this up on a filling. <laughs> Anyhow, let's read some questions, shall we? Oh, no, we need to talk about these amps. Yep. Talk about what you've been working on. So, so the much. only reason, here's the deal, the only reason I ordered this amp kit, and I, and I looked around for something that looked really cool. It's called the Trinity Triton. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's it's kind of, it's based on a champ, but it's based on like the, the Fender sorta. champ. Sort of. Yeah. Loosely based. But it has a switch where you can switch back and forth between a 6V6 and a 6L6. Here are some cool features this thing had, because... Uh, Eric told me about it, and I was looking for something, and I didn't really want to do a tweed champ kit. I don't know why exactly. I just thought it was well, boring. It's just boring. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was pretty thrilled when you came up with this because it's 6V6 or 6L6. Yeah. So you, I, you swap the tube mm -hmm. and flip a switch. Which I really like 6L6s, single-ended. And it had also a... Um, and a speaker impedance switch. Yeah, so you can go between 4 and 8 ohms mm -hmm. on the speaker. Yep. And it had a pentode preamp tube. Yeah. That was really interesting. A really different and cool preamp right. tube. Right. An octal preamp tube. Is it a 6SJ7? Yeah. And I have a hard time remembering that, but it's SJ, yes. So is that 
like a, a precursor to a 12AX7? It's like half a 12AX7? No, that's more like that 6AU6 that you uh, oh, put in something else. Yeah. It, the, I think a 6SL7 is kind of similar. Oh, that's what I'm but thinking. This is, yeah. A 6SJ7 is a... Is a pentode with five elements. Huh. Which means, which um, those, uh, like a 6V6 is a pentode tube. So, and usually these two, the preamp tube is a triode with three elements, the cathode, the grid, and the plate. So a tube like that, is it a dedicated, like you could really only use it as a preamp tube, or do they ever use that as a, as an as output a power? Tube? Uh, yeah. I, I think it would have to, because of the impedance and the power, the voltage amplification I think it would just be a preamp tube. I think so that's what distinguishes it. But it's it's an interesting tube, mm-hmm. and so so all three tube sockets are the same because they're all right. They're octal. They're tubes. all octal tubes. Yeah. It's a it's a five. What was the five Y three five Y three, which is the same rectifier that's in like a, a Champ or yeah. even a Tweed Deluxe. I think it's five Y three. And then for the power tube, either a six L six or a six V six, and then the preamp tube was. A 6SJ7. Yeah. Cool. And the switching between 606 and 6V6, this is extremely nerdy, boring stuff, but is accomplished by switching out cathode resistors. It's not just you hot swap it. Right. Because you really can't do that. Yeah. Um, and so I was convinced this this thing is awesome and really interesting, and it, and it still is. And it is. Um, but we we were a little bit confused when we went to when we went to wire it up. There's two kind of sets of instructions. There's a a giant, you know, there's a layout. layout. Yeah. And then there's a thick pad of paper that, you know, you thumb through and follow step by step. There's a very good user guide. Yeah, it's really good. But the problem was the user guide and the layout, the layout were drawn differently on that they were, switch. They were at odds. That was the only thing that was at odds. Everything else jived, but that one, that one, that switch, we couldn't figure out how to wire it yeah. because it showed it two different ways. Yeah, and we had a shallow understanding of it, and that probably helped us to kind of think through that. But also at that phase, there were a lot of things that I couldn't really understand what what we were trying to accomplish with this part or that. Yeah, this value or whatever. In in the end, though, I realized that that switch would work wired either way that they showed it. Yes, because all it's doing is hooking two wires together, so it's right. like an on-off switch. Even though they used a, a three, double pull, yeah. pull, double throw switch. Yeah, we thought there was something really special about that. And no, yeah. it's, they they just add a resistor in series. Yeah, to change the uh, voltage on the cathode. Yeah, is that the deal? Uh huh. To you, change you, that, you that actually, bias. You know more about amps than I do. I, I'm. Boy, I know it's the more I know, the less I know I know. And mm-hmm. um, I'm such I'm an outsider that has a great interest in these amps. But um, no, I couldn't figure out all this thing. And I certainly couldn't design it. I can't tell you why the cathode resistor has to be that value. I mean, I, I know generally. Well, and it could be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I posted a picture of this finished amp on Instagram and uh, the fine people over at Satellite Amps commented on Instagram, said, hey, you should swap out that cathode resistor for a, instead of a... For a value 10% less. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is within the tolerance of this this resistor, probably. But, um, and what would be great is if that guy said, because of this. 
See, oh, that, there you go. That's what we can't. Well, and that's we a guy know. who he knows more about amps yeah. than we do. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. And so, so we don't know, and, which isn't and hard. It, it's hard to learn teaching yourself, you know. Well, and, and the other thing, so you know, to me, like the final test was because I even went once I finished the amp, I thought I don't know if I have this switch, this bias switch, right? And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I'll know when I plug a six v six in there, yeah, and flip the switch. Or plug a 6L6 in there and flip the switch. And, and the magic smoke comes and out? it'll be, you know, audibly different. You'll yes. hear a difference. But I didn't. That was not the case. It, with the six, I with a 6L6 in there, you can flip that by a switch, and it sounds almost pretty much exactly the same either yeah. way. I thought it would be wildly different, like out-of-control distortion or... Yeah, or, or something. Yeah, or I mean, you really know, weak. I because I, I figured, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you're going to flip the switch; it's not going to, the thing's yeah. not going to go up in smoke. Yeah, and if it does, right before that point, you turn it off. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it doesn't really sound much different. No, it's with either tube. You flip that switch, and it doesn't really sound much different. Now, it does sound way different with a six v six versus a six l six. Yep, and that's cool. That's very cool. But the problem I have with it is not really the kit itself. The kit was pretty great, really. And it's they had quality parts. Yes, I really, really good parts all around. Great parts. Good documentation. Uh, good documentation, good transformers. Great transformers. Um, you the, had an aged tube. I which did. Is nice. Yeah, the vintage uh, preamp tubes. From Great Britain. Yeah. Um, the only, the whole. Dang reason I bought this kit was because I had this super cool, empty, reel-to-reel yeah. box that's about the size of a Deluxe, or thereabouts. It's very close to Tweed Deluxe. And uh, I thought, man, this would make a great amp. It's a shame I don't know how to make amps. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to order a kit and put it in this box. Right? I'll, I'll throw away the tube amp that's in it. Yeah. And I will buy... Well, the tube amp that was in it was for a reel-to-reel, and it wasn't... It didn't make any sense to me. It wasn't going to work for a guitar amp. No, it wasn't. So, the end of the day, this amp sounds bad. It doesn't sound bad. It sounds... It's slightly unsatisfying. But the reason it sounds bad is not the amp. It's the cabinet. That's right. Because it's not stout enough. And that's weird. And it's, we, a, it's a little bit thinner than, well, it's quite a lot thinner than, than like, what a what a guitar amp would be. Mm-hmm. It's yep. plywood. And we didn't expect that at all, and we swapped speakers back and forth, and tubes back and forth, guitars. Yep. I mean, we tried everything, and so but once it defies I pl- reason. Yeah, but once I plugged my chassis into a different... Um, amp and speaker into it sounded great yeah into mine yeah or into a different which we could do because we had quarter inch outs on this thing yeah and they sound they sound almost identical we plugged them both into your amp yeah and your speaker your i mean your cabinet and your speaker Uh uh-huh yeah speakers are relatively similar 10 inch speakers and yeah so the bottom line is uh I have to scrap this cabinet because no, it's it sucks up all the bass <laughs> and all the highs and all it has is mid. Well, I don't know. It's pretty. So I've got uh, I've got another cabinet coming, but here I, I thought we would uh, play them just a little bit and record them. Let's do it. Well, yeah. 
Okay, so we're this is uh, your amp first, right? Yep. We got a lot of room noise because of the way we're micing this, but that's okay. So that's, this is Nat's. That's what we gotta do. Amp, which this cabinet, what this is like a homemade cabinet yeah, that it, you did. It's uh, it's not much bigger or smaller than a Tweed Deluxe. Okay, I don't think they can hear you. It's about the size of a Tweed Deluxe, but this yeah. is a solid wood cabinet uh-huh. and a nice uh, Weber speaker. Yeah. This is with the amp up about halfway and the uh, tone control bypass. The other cool thing this... Oh, I think it's tone control. Oh, that's, that's another The other cool thing that this uh, amp kit had was the tone control, you can push and pull. You pull it out and it bypasses the tone control. So. Okay, I think my switch amps, I think my amp is on. So this is the same amp through a different cabinet and speaker. Sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. Doesn't it? I'm telling you, it sounds terrible. Why does it sound terrible? I told you it sounded terrible. Okay, do the exact same. Uh, all right. Makes... Yeah, it's just, it's just terrible. I'm telling you, that is, this, that's the way my amp sounds. We AB'd them already. Do you do you yeah, not remember? I didn't remember it was that bad. So as you heard, Nat's amp sounds way better. I don't get yeah. it. But it's the same amp. It, in fact, if we if we just swapped this the uh, the speaker wires, which we've done, which we've done, um, it would sound, you know, you'd you'd hear. Yeah, both of these amps sound pretty similar. It's freaky, and we're kind of at a loss. No, this I cabinet did. just sucks. This cabinet is. Soaking up all the frequencies because it's too resonant. It's it's not deflecting. That may be. It's not deflecting enough sound. There's something to it because mine's a traditional, uh, kind of like a Tweed Deluxe. It's kind of patterned after a magnetone that I've got um, with a traditional MDF baffle. But and they both have ten inch speakers. One has mine has this Alnico, and then uh, Eric's is a ceramic C10. But yeah. but they sound we can't explain it radically different. It's my weird. amp is my amp sounds way quieter and has no highs and has no bass. Yeah, we're afraid it's just the cabinet. It is. It is because yeah, I there's plugged nothing it left. In. Yeah, there's nothing left. So the th- the ma- the biggest thing I've learned making an amp is the cabinet and the speaker make a huge, huge. difference. Almost oh, bigger than difference. anything. Yeah. And those are the same size speakers. Yeah. I mean, what a huge contribution. Same I, amp. Well, I used a couple different capacitors than you did, but it, in the end, they, they don't sound that different. That's right. And I have and one um, somewhat important power resistor. Um, if you have somewhat important power resistors, one of those is a little bit browned, is a little bit uh, torrified or toasted. Because when I first right. you, ro- you yeah, tried to roast your amp, I fired up the old uh, an old Sovtex six L six, and there was a flash, and there was smoke. The magic smoke came out, and I yeah. thought, "Oh, great! What now?" And I 
knew I didn't have the deductive capacity to figure it out, so I swapped in another tube, and it was fine. Yeah, it was so, just a bad tube. That tube had a short in it. So that has just, yeah, and that has just a little less resistance than it used to. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's enough amp talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with some questions. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to see examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. All right, let's have some questions here, shall we? Okay. Here's a topic for your podcast. This is uh, this is from Nick. Do you usually? I think it's nice to announce first, so we know who we're talking about. This is from Nick. Resonance versus deflection in electric guitars. I don't know what that means. When something in the string path resonates or moves, it can be a tone suck. What if the guitar resonates a lot? Would that suck tone? We all know the best for sustain would be a string posted on a railroad tie. Do we, though? <laughs> we do now. I have heard Leo Fender subscribe to the deflection theory. This is in parentheses. More output, less absorbed by the guitar. Might be the reason why people used to like heavy guitars. He could be onto something there. Love to hear your opinion on the subject. Love the podcast. Hope the guitar gods smile upon you when you get to my Martin... 08, what do you call that? 018? 018. 018 yeah. neck reset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm working Keep on... Keep up the great work I'm working Nick. on Nick's Martin. That's a cool guitar. Yeah, there's a lot of um, truth in this. I mean, uh, if you ever have like a... If you have a loose fret that's just slightly loose, and it's not loose enough that, it, that you even mm -hmm. notice it, but or, when you depress that note, the string vibration gets taken up by... Th that loose fret yeah just in, instead of deflecting right you know i don't subscribe to the heavy guitar 
equals more sustained theory? No. In fact, I like them light, but um, everything needs to be tight. Right. And um, you can't have any loose parts. You can't have any uh, anything in the string path that, that resonates because right. it, it they... Yeah, they're a tone suck. It it uh, it would it would uh, absorb the so he energy. says. What if the guitar resonates a lot? Would that suck tone? Well, n- no, because the the guitar as a whole needs to resonate. Just the wood. I mean, you need yeah. a rigid bridge. But you you know the parts need to transfer the string energy to the guitar. Yeah, that's kind of how it works, right? I mean, yeah. we don't want to build guitars out of concrete. Right. You know, it it has to be, it has to have some resonance to it. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. That's a good one. Next question. Is there a way to tell if a Fender Sparkle finish is original? I'm looking at a 64 Duosonic that they say is original gold sparkle over red. Just trying to see if they are right. Any pointers? Mm, well, you know, somebody could write a big book on that subject. Well, what would be original about gold sparkle over something? Well, in back in the day, Fender would um, oftentimes uh, do a custom color over a guitar that's already painted. That's just off the rack. Yeah, huh? and, and usually it would be like sunburst, you know. But mm-hmm. sometimes they would end up with one custom color over another. Huh. And it, when when it comes to really far out, like heavy duty sparkle guitars, uh, the theory I've heard is that there was like a hot rod auto body shop down the street mm-hmm. that they took they took the bodies to. Like if you like Dick Dale's band had really sparkly, like like bass boat flake, really uh, like the super flake, huh? you know, jazz masters, and and they took those to a like an auto body hot rod shop and they sprayed them there. They weren't painted at Fender. That's oh. what I've heard. Now, I don't know a hundred percent certainty that that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. Anyhow, on, you know, t- to see if, t- to see if any Fender finish is original. Uh, I mean, it's such a, we could, we could go on and on about this, but on most Fenders, the, you want to look at the solder joints because, you oh. got you got to make sure they're original because to refinish it you'd have to unsolder some joints t- to okay. take it apart, right? Now on a Duo Sonic like this guy's talking about, you could d- disassemble it without unsoldering stuff, so that's not really going to help him, but um a big part of it on a guitar like that is the the history. Where did it come from? You know? I mean, if you can establish that, like who sold it you to who? You just have to know. Huh? Yeah, what's the provenance and wh- are there any old pictures of it or any old receipts or any proof of any kind on paper, you know, of its authenticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that would go a long way to help if, if there's anything like that. If the story is something like, oh, I don't know, it just kind of showed up, then that's, that's worrisome. Could but, you look at the edges of uh, where it goes from finish to knot around the pickups? Well, Does that help? No, there's finish. Uh, there should be finish uh, in in the pickup cavities, you know, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't see that, but I mean a guitar like that. I mean we're talking about he's he, he's sent me a picture of it, and it's like you know big metal flake. Weird it's a really unusual, unnatural. It's a really unusual finish. It it's very custom for Fender. It's not something that they just made. 
mm-hmm. for the masses. So, I mean, that that was a special guitar. It was either made for like the Nam Nam show or a or famous a, guy or, or a special musician. Yeah, a Rat Fink Hot Rod or something. There's got to be a story behind if if it's real. One thing to look for is if there's any large numbers or letters pressed into the wood under under the pickguard, like E S. E S means really? entered special, and you'll, huh. you'll see that on one-off fenders. On the underside of the pickguard. Well, on, in the wood. Oh, in the wood. Underneath the pickguard. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a tough one on a Duo Sonic because it's kind of that's a super rarity, man. And even though it's rare, it is possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. weird. Yeah. Anyhow, that's about all I can say about that. That's a pretty good answer. Ooh, let's go to the next question. Next question: Does Martin really need a custom shop? Does Martin have a custom shop? I guess they do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they this these are very uh, informative in addition to being uh, good questions. They are top of the line across the board. I understand custom guitars are special runs. Do they really need a different department? They are all custom shop quality, in my opinion. Maybe it's just a name because Fender and Gibson have a custom shop. These are the thoughts I have. That's our buddy Nick. Thanks for all your help, Nick. Okay, well, um, yeah, the high-end Martins are, are top of the line across the board. Martin makes some low-end guitars too, mm-hmm. you know. So, I think it's 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 cool to have a custom shop. It probably gives them an excuse to charge a little more for oh, a guitar yeah. that they wouldn't otherwise, you know, oh, yeah. charge more for. But, um, I don't know. I'd have to look into that. I wonder what their um what their practices are in that custom shop. You know, on on old Martins. Part of the uh, charm of those is the way they're assembled, the way they're put together, the kind of woods they use. They were made with hot hide glue, mm-hmm. which transfers the tone better. They were made with better quality woods. We could get better quality woods back then. So if the custom shop is building things kind of to old world standards, that would be hip. If they're using hide glue, if they're using the best right. wood they can get. Because I know right. that even like the top of the line non-custom shop Martins... Uh, those are not made with hide glue. They're not anymore, huh? No, uh-uh, not anymore. Well, the, and they may just be doing gold flake over red or something, and, <laughs> and it's several thousands yeah. of dollars. I mean, it's cool. I, it's cool that they have a custom shop, and I'm sure that the guitars are just that much nicer, but it might it, it might just be an excuse to charge a little more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is probably good. They yeah. need to make a little money. Well, sure. Okay. Hi, guys. I need help. I've recently become maybe a little too obsessed with perfect intonation. Oh, no. Yeah. And now it seems like none of my guitars will tune properly. This guy's ruined. I've got three guitars, and I've had them all set up twice in caps each by two different techs, and I'm still having this problem. I'm not the world's best guitar player, but I'm not bad. Why won't my guitars tune? I play the open E string and look at my tuner and it's in. Then I play the first fret for an F note and it's sharp. Okay, got a clue there. And also the G and B strings seem like I have to constantly fiddle with them and it never really resolves. This guy's onto something. I feel the same way. I just constantly fiddle. It's to the point that it seems like I don't even enjoy playing guitar anymore. This is terrible. 
I just pick up a guitar and constantly listen to the tuning inconsistencies and obsess over it. Oh my gosh, what should I do? Seriously, I need help. Please advise. Love the podcast. James. James, my man. He's having James. a hard time. James, have you considered bass? <laughs> like bass would have worse intonation problems with those giant strings. Um, here's what I'm. Here's my thoughts. Okay, James. Um, and I've seen. Believe it or not, I'm sure you do believe it. I've seen this happen to guys over the years. Oh yeah. You know, you you get into guitar, you start to play, you learn a bunch of songs. You can play, you can tune, you can you can do a lot of things, and then. You discover intonation. Oh, man. And it becomes this obsession to you. And and uh, nothing seems to fix it. You can't here's let the, go. Here's the reality. Intonation is, at best, a compromise. Uh-huh. A mathematical compromise. There's no such thing as a perfectly intonated guitar. It just doesn't exist. Part of your job as a guitar player is to play your guitar in tune. It Now, it needs to be adjusted to the best that it can be, and you need to make sure you're getting that accomplished, but part of your job is to depress the strings in such a way that the thing plays in tune. And if you're pushing down the first fret on the low E string and the F is way sharp, then there's a couple things going on that are possible. One is, you might just be pressing way too hard, dude. Yep, that's it. You've you've taken it to two different techs. Is that what he said? Yeah. Do, Twice if, if each, you have if, two different techs. If you have a good relationship with one of these techs, um, or maybe just a, your buddy that plays guitar, hand the guitar to him and tell him play an E, play an F. Let's look at the tuner because um, this might be something you're doing, dude. I hate to break that to you. It's possible. Yep. I think. Uh, it probably is in the case of the F because it just just such a short run, and you can bend it sharp so easily. It's easy to push too hard. It, it's there. hard to play an F chord all in tune, right? Yeah. And an F note for all of us. Yes, and it's and especially it's hard to play, especially when you're maybe when you're starting out. This guy's actually has been playing for a long time, but certainly for me, uh, it's hard to not overgrip these things. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're playing loud or something. The other factors that, that come into play here are, um, he doesn't say what kind of guitar he has here. No. But if you, if you have a guitar with pretty large frets, oh yeah, that's complicating things because it allows you to press down even farther if you're, if you're, yeah. If you're pushing down too hard, you can leverage it, do fret vibrato. The other thing about it is, um, the uh, the nut slot needs to be cut to the right depth for the G and B strings. They get hung well up for everything. Easily, right? But if like on that on that low E string, oh. if it's sitting too high, then it needs to come down. When you when you push the string down, it's having to travel too far, which is going to make it go sharp. So light touch, make sure it's make sure it's intonated yeah. properly and set up right. And which, good, really good setup, which is not a given because it's not easy. And I didn't have, this is a true story, I did not have a well-set-up guitar until I sent you that Telecaster. You remember that? Oh, yeah. And that was the thrill of that thing, was it played in tune all up and down the neck. And, and, and I hadn't had a guitar that did that. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. it, and listeners, if you're out there uh, and you wonder why 
things uh, don't sound quite right, boy, it is a big change. I said that poorly, but it it is a great upgrade to have a guitar play evenly, the pickup sound even. Yeah. You know, across the frequency spectrum, just to all have up it and down the in. neck. Yeah. And I had not had a guitar do that. The G and B strings, like he's talking about, that's a common problem. Oh, yeah. Make sure there's a little bit of some kind of lubricant in those nut slots, a little bit of graphite. That's a big help. And, you know, you can, when you're tuning up, you want to tune from low to high and maybe stretch those strings. I have to do that with that uh, yeah, make sure G your and B string strings lock. are stretched out. Don't use, a, a lot of guys have tuning problems and never figure out that it's the crazy strings they're using. Don't buy weird handmade round core weird they strings. wobbles. Man, get some plain vanilla strings down at the mom and pop shop. We're talking about Diodario or Ernie Ball. I mean, if you're having tuning problems, make, get get down to the basics. Say, okay, these strings should not be inconsistent. Right. They make them by the billions. So plain vanilla strings, hand the guitar to your buddy who plays guitar really well or put it in the hands of the... Uh, the luthier that just set it up and say, show me if this plays in tune for you, you know, because you, you really may just need to adjust the way you play. I think That's so. part of our job as guitar players. Don't forget is to, is to have the finesse and learn how it's not easy to, I mean, I, I see the same thing with people who get obsessed with string buzz. Right. You can pick up any guitar and right. make it buzz. I don't care how high the action is. Uh huh. If you hit the string the wrong way, part of the trick is learning how to play it so it doesn't buzz. Yep. Anyway. Play within those limitations. That's enough of that, James. I hope we didn't harsh on you too much. Well, and also he's going to have to let go at some point. Seriously, think about bass, James. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's bass, a joke. Bass is too hard. It's a joke. Okay, moving on. Hey, Eric. I want to add a Gibson original long Maestro Vibrola to my 2017 Firebird to make it look vintage, correct? How do I make sure I get the placement right? Ooh, this sounds tricky. In, in particular, how do I make sure strings, the strings are perfectly aligned? Cheers, Gustavo from Boston. Gustavo. And I think... It it would be uh, irresponsible of you, or it would be unfair of you to say, just don't do it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Because that, that's, that's Well, you know that's what I was going to say. I know. Uh, it's not a Bigsby, so there is that. Ooh. At least it's... It's at least sideways it's a, no, Bigsby, I know. isn't it? Yeah. I, oh, man. If it were my Firebird, I wouldn't put it on there. Anyway, Gustavo, that's beside the point. Yep. You want to put one on, and that's, that's right. a perfectly legitimate thing for you to do. That's great. When you order a Bigsby kit they send you a really long red string they do have you ever seen this uh no and yeah. i ordered a bigsby but maybe yeah. not a kit uh yeah it's it only with some of the kits but this is a great tip for installing any tailpiece be it a uh, a bigsby or a maestro vibrola what you want to do is take a long string you know, like cotton string, mm -hmm. right? You put it through the low E tuner, you bring it down to the to your tailpiece and put it through the low E slot, then bring it around, put it through the high E slot, and then okay. back up the neck. It's and, kind of a U shape. And 
through the nut and through the high E tuner. Okay. Now you can kind of tighten those strings up a little bit and see where it's... Um, you got a nice rectangle yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, the other sorta. way to do this is to try to get a center line and do it, you know, sort of mathematically and by measuring. But this the quick and dirty, you know, player way to do this is a string. And you can use guitar strings, too. You could just put the high E and the low E on and kind of, you know, not tighten them up, but tight enough so that they... So you can sight so down that they're, a little bit. Yeah, so that they're tight enough so that you can see if it's centered, right? And then once you see kind of where it needs to be, because you've got strings coming across the neck, they need to line up to the sides of the neck, they need to line up to the pickups, you know, the pull pieces on the mm-hmm. pickup, they need to line up to the saddles, and uh, that should give you, a, you know, a line where you can see if it's straight or not. Yeah, it'll be aligned. Now, yeah. um, does the Maestro Vibrola have really tricky screw placement, or I don't know how those are attached. Is that a problem? Oh, I don't remember. I don't think it does. Not any trickier than it's like not, a Bigsby. Okay. It, I think it has a big cover plate and then some screws under oh, okay. that. Okay, so you can so you can It shouldn't be too bad. Up. Yeah, it shouldn't be too bad. And once you get it once you get it um kind of mocked up where you think it needs to be, you can mark with a Sharpie or something mm-hmm. where where those screws need to be drilled. Take and, it off and drill it. And just start drilling holes in your guitar willy-nilly. Oh. Woo! Vroom, vroom. Yeah. I I did it once, yeah, and you weren't thrilled with it. I called you up. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I asked you about installing that Bixby. Really? Yeah. On what? I remember that on the this uh, Korean Les Paul. And I said, "Don't do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least I'm consistent. And and then I think ultimately, well, I think there's no magic. You just got to do it. And I don't remember the the string trick, but maybe maybe you told me that. I can't remember. Hmm. Also, you might want to think about James's question about how uh, you're you're going to be obsessing about being yeah. in tune forever now. And you need to learn because... to let go, man. <laughs> it's not easy because tuning problems are in your future with this uh, <laughs> with this Maestro Vibrola. Okay. And uh, yeah, things getting hung up in the nut. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, next poor guy. Hi guys, what's the difference in pre CBS black bottom Fender pickups and post sixty four gray bottom pickups? Is he? trolling us is he making no, stuff this is up? real this is legitimate in 1964 um leo fender sold the fender company okay. to cbs and they took over i think it was january 1st 1965 okay. so he's asking about That's the significance of that he's date. asking okay. about if the differences in pickups go ahead and start that over sorry okay uh, what's the difference in pre-CBS black bottom Fender pickups and post-64 gray bottom pickups? Is there really that much difference? Did they ramp up the DC resistance after after the CBS takeover? Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Um, a few things changed right in there somewhere, and it wasn't like, you know, on the same day, but over those last few months of... 64 and the first few months of 65 somewhere in there mm-hmm. they switched from form var wire to okay. enam- to enamel wire oh. so that's one difference i thought form var was enamel no form well it I, it might be a it might be a okay. type of enamel but okay. they it is a very specific coating that they use and it's a different color so enamel magnet wire has a really rich dark appearance 
um, hmm. brownish, brownish reddish. Yeah. Okay. And formvar is has a very coppery look to it. Oh. Real okay. bright, real bright coppery. Okay. Look. And uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know why this is, but fifties. Uh, Fenders, Tellys had enamel wire, and Strats had Formvar in their pickups. Hmm. I don't know why that is, but they did. So, right around the CBS takeover, Strats switched from Formvar to enamel. So, um, specifically on Strat pickups, uh, Tellys, I think, were always enamel. And that would be more significant than the the bottom of these pickups that this is the, uh, what do you call it? The, not the bobbin. Yeah. The uh, bobbin. Yeah. The, yeah. The bobbin material also changed the color. Like he referenced in okay. his question, uh, earlier pickups have a black bottom and the late later after the CBS takeover, they went to a gray, uh, material and they, tr- and they changed that the stuff is called four bond. Oh, so and that's when they changed the, uh, the coating on these, on the pickup wire. Uh, somewhere the around time. the same time. And yeah. then the okay. other thing they did is they went to machine-wound coils instead of hand-guided. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a pretty big change. Yeah, it is. And All those things. Leo Fender said in an interview somewhere that he preferred the hand-wound coils because he felt that guiding the wire on by hand, you could get a tighter coil than you can with the uh, machine-wound huh. coils, and it made for a better-sounding pickup. That's what he said. And they, huh. no, they didn't. What did he say about the DC resistance? Did they ramp up the resistance? Uh, no, they ramped it down. Early 60s tend to be like in the low 6s, 6K ohms okay. on Strat pickups. And uh, post-CBS, they tend to be like in the high 5s. And that would be a little bit of... Back to kind of 50 specs. What would be the difference? A little bit of gain and tonal variation there? Uh, a little more... Uh, resistance a little higher output and the mm-hmm. the eq changes as you get more more dc resistance the eq changes you get le- less highs and yep. more kind of mid growl ah. uh, but this is all generalization though and and you know not all of them follow this rule but that's that's kind of the that's generally what happened about that period well that's that's a good little question there yeah okay let's move on Here's a few topics for a quick reaction on your podcast, Eric. Which do you prefer, Flathead or Phillips? <laughs> Go quick. <laughs> i read the whole question. <laughs> flathead or Phillips? Flathead or Phillips? Metal pickup springs or rubber tube? Brass or steel saddles? Ivory or bone? This is from Paul. Paul. Uh, I don't know, man. It's... It, this is stuff that doesn't really matter to me, honestly. Oh, it does. It does. It, it I matters. know, it does. But, but you know, like, do you ever listen to a record and wonder if he had flathead or Phillips head screws on his pit guard? Sometimes I do. So does, um, who's our guy with tuning problems? James. Um, no, that is a great standard. That's a great standard of how much does this matter? That, yeah. That, that situation right there. I mean, believe me, I can get obsessed over guitars. I mean, this is what I do for a living, and, and trust me, I'm obsessed over quite a few things about oh, yeah. guitars, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to take it down that road, Phillips, <laughs> unless we're dealing with an with early Fender-style stuff, like, uh, you know, pre-52 Telecasters and Esquires have, okay. should have 
should have slot head. But other than that, Phillips, I hate slot head screws. Your screwdriver can just slip right out of that it's slot. It's pretty and, archaic. Yeah. It's like medieval stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't really like Phillips. I mean flathead. Pardon me. I don't really like yeah, flat flathead. Right. I prefer Phillips. Metal pickup springs or rubber tube. Again, I mean I go back and forth. I usually use those metal springs. Brass or steel saddles. Um I usually use brass, but my favorite tele has steel, so Really? Yeah. What do you what do you do? Ivory or bone? Well, ivory's illegal, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with bone. Yeah, man. I don't want sighties coming and knock on my door. Or what are they from called? elephants? What? Who? 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 Who would come and knock on my door? Uh, the FDA or something? A- <laughs> ATF? One of those yeah. alphabet agencies would well, be. It would be an international commission of people with guns drawn. That's right. Bugbears. Thanks, Paul. It was a cute question, and I enjoyed it. That is good. Moving on. I recently bought. A 2018 Fender P-Bass featuring a Pow Ferro fretboard. My question is, can I treat slash clean slash oil this wood the same as rosewood? Are there any things I should avoid or do differently to the Pow Ferro? Thanks from Jake, the lazy bassist. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Like his style. <laughs> Don't be so hard on yourself, yeah. Jake. Yeah, he, he has a good question. At least you're he, not obsessed with intonation. He I wants mean, to do the right thing here. He's not lazy. Uh, no, it's, yeah, uh, it's an unfinished wood. It, I would treat it similar to rosewood. You can oil it occasionally. Um, yeah, th- there's really nothing you need to avoid or do differently with the Pau Ferro. Just treat it like rosewood. Oil it a couple times a year with a very light oil. My go-to choice is Gerlitz Guitar Honey. Oh, yeah. I know I've mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah, they should advertise. We should get any kind of advertisers on this show. Yes. Gerlitz's Guitar Honey. They don't need to advertise because I mention their product so often that... No, that probably takes care of it. It would really just be... It would be nice to have Throwing away money. A bucket of said honey occasionally. Oh, yeah. They could just send me some some free honey. Yes. Send me some guitar honey. That'd be nice. That does it for the questions. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Nat for joining me on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure, you know, Melissa will be back next time around. So, But uh, that does it for this show. If you want to participate in the show, and I would love it if you would, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Call or text 757-774-8482, and uh, we'll use that as part of the show. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks.